holding it at arm's length. Robin leads with the canister of mace as she moves into the hallway towards the clamor in the kitchen, her thumb pressed against the compression trigger, her nerves standing on end. She rounds a corner to find all of her kitchen chairs pulled away from the table and shoved haphazardly next to the refrigerator. With the chairs cleared out of the way, the table seems bare and stark except for the figure perched on it. Barefoot and in her pajamas, Brianna stands in the dark atop the kitchen table with her back to Robin, seemingly oblivious to her roommate's presence. She holds her arms out to her sides, her hands curled as if clasping the hands of phantom people, as if she were a link in some imaginary human chain. Chala Abe Ate Onag An Tu Chala Abe Ate Onag An Tu In constant motion, Brianna sways her arms loosely moving her feet across the tabletop in shuffle steps, mouthing something inaudible, something like a frantic sing-song lyric. It reminds Robin of Ring Around the Rosy, but this is something different altogether. Something doesn't feel right. Robin edges closer, lowering the mace spray, but keeping her thumb poised on the trigger button. Brianna. Brianna turns, but not in response to Robin. The course of her dancing step leads her around the table's edge so that she's partially facing Robin now. As Brianna rattles off the sing-song chant, the words come out muddled and mumbled. Her eyes are wide, but there is a vacancy behind them. Brianna! She stares off to a faraway point past Robin, who remains unseen and unheard. She's asleep, Robin realizes. This is sleepwalking. Whatever dreams Brianna is experiencing, she's acting it out in real time. A dream of a playground game? It must be a game because she's smiling. But that smile cuts across her face beneath those gaping, empty eyes, raising goose flesh on Robin's arms. Brianna, wake up. You're dreaming. Robin inches closer. Brianna's bare feet skirt dangerously close to the table's edge, a hair's distance from stepping off into thin air. Even with solid surface beneath her feet, her weight distribution towards the end of the table causes it to wobble slightly. If the table were to topple now, it would take Brianna down hard on an unforgiving, tiled floor. Brianna! Brianna! Come down from there! She sets the mace down on the table and reaches up to take Brianna's hand. Come on down. It's not safe. Brianna's hand grasps hers in return and she responds to the prompt, taking a giant step down from the table while Robin steadies her. On solid floor once again, Brianna stands face to face with Robin, holding her hand and staring blankly into her, still fast asleep and dreaming with her eyes open. Come down, it's not safe. Releasing Robin's hand, Brianna pulls away to shuffle back down the hallway from where she came, slipping away into the open doorway of her bedroom. Robin remains rooted in place as the stillness of the apartment returns. She eyes the kitchen, the table a stage for the unnerving nocturnal encounter. Gathering up the mace spray... Robin follows Brianna's path back to her room and pauses in the doorway to check on her. She finds Brianna, curled up on her side and in bed with the blanket drawn up to her chin, sleeping peacefully as if her kitchen antics had never happened. Content now that the sleepwalking incident has come to an end, Robin sighs and pulls Brianna's door shut before returning to her own bedroom. With her mind still alert and her nerves restless, sleep doesn't come readily. 
and when it does, it's fractured and uneasy. Morning and Thorn Matter finds Everett in the basement. He sits shirtless and cross-legged on the cement floor, drawing deep breaths and opening himself to the vibrations and energies of the house. You don't need these tuning forks anymore. You are the tuning fork now. There you are. I was looking for you. What do I call you, by the way? You don't. You don't look for me. And you don't call me. I call you Baby Everett. Why do you call me that? Why do you call me Baby? Because I'm levels above where you are. I can see you. All the way down there. And you look like an ant. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Show me. Show me then. Ha! <laughs> Dylan! Dylan, why don't you come down here? What are you doing? Showing you. Hey. Hey, well, what's up? I don't know, man. I felt like I was coming down here for a reason, but I don't know. Damn, it went right out of my mind. I'm sure I'll think of it once I'm back upstairs. You meditating? Yeah. Cool. All right, well, I won't disturb you. You want this door? Closed. Right on. He didn't even see you. How did you do that? In time. When you're ready. You did some things here with sex magic, didn't you? You and Thorn and the other priestesses. We're bringing the girls back here tonight. I know. Don't you think I see everything? Hear everything that goes on within these walls? Even the thoughts that go unspoken. And there are some thoughts in this house. What do you mean? Let's just say that before everything is said and done, you will face some opposition to your goal. Opposition from within. What? What are you talking about? I don't like how Doug questioned you in front of the others. How he's planted those beginning seeds of dissent. Doug? When? No, no. He was just making sure we stayed on track with the music, that's all. He's cool. Don't worry about him. I've known Doug for 11 years. He's on board, trust me. Factories of Ruin. Who came up with that name? Uh, I did. And who's the leader of the band? Well, Dylan and I were playing in another band right out of high school, but that band was... It was imploding, it was a mess. So, I convinced him to peel off with me and start our own band. Then I found Doug, and Dylan brought in Keith. Who writes the lyrics? Who booked the first big gig? And who landed you your agent? Who's the deciding voice in most of these decisions? Who conveys the vision that has guided factories of ruin to success? Me. Who is the leader? Me. And why would someone from within the ranks openly doubt their leader? Why would they chip away at and test that leader's position, hmm? Could it be... 
Maybe they're not content with their place in the pecking order. Maybe they have designs on that role for themselves. But then again, you've known him for 11 years. You know him better than I. I handled it. I reminded him what we're looking to achieve here, and he stepped back in line. And if he steps out again, I'll handle that too. Doug's cool though. He knows he has a good ear, and I can count on him. Okay, if you say so. Don't you worry about me. I'm solid. I'll hold up my end of this. And the girls are coming back tonight. So, we'll intensify things. More ritual, more intent, more energy. Just like you want. Your sacrament has begun, baby Everett. Keep building towards its finale. Then your end of the bargain will be kept. And the keys to the power I promised will be yours. Tell me what to do. With the girls, I mean. How does it- You know. You already know what to do. You've thought about it. And thoughts lay intent. Thoughts are nothing more than the groundwork for actions. That's what you want. You want me to... Uh. I don't want you to do anything. You do what you do. It's in your nature. You see, baby Everett, there are only two types in this world. Monsters and victims. You just have to ask yourself, which one are you? When you figure that out, all the rest begins to fall into place. Traffic crawls from one stoplight to the next, while bicyclists whiz past and streams of young pedestrians take to the crosswalk, heading towards the university. The waking world seems extra bright and frenetic, as if the dial had been turned up somehow. Driving through town with Brianna in the passenger seat, Robin feels removed from this hyperactive world, not a part of it, an outsider watching it tick by. Thanks for the lift. You saved me an Uber fare, at least one way. Yeah, no worries. Mr. Williamson's my first client, and he's practically on the way, so... So, do you want to talk about it? Talk about what? I don't remember anything. I mean, I used to sleepwalk, but not since I was little. It was freaky, Brianna. Like you were acting out a dream or something. Do you remember what you were dreaming? No. And that's the second night in a row, which is really weird. I have always had vivid dreams, and I always remember them, or pieces of them anyway. I've talked about that. It's like I live in two separate worlds. One while I'm awake, and one while I'm asleep. And I get this strong sense of deja vu at times. I don't know if it's connected, but... Then I think maybe sometimes. Maybe I dream about things happening, and then they do. It's like I've seen it and lived it before. Like, maybe time works differently in dreams, and sometimes I catch a glimpse of what will happen before it does. But in the moment, when that feeling of deja vu hits me, and everything feels fuzzy and unreal... If I try to think about it too deeply, I get this really eerie feeling and my mind stops itself. Like I'm not supposed to be thinking about it. (sighs) I just gotta chill. Yeah, 
Even now, just talking about it freaks me out. I don't normally remember my dreams, but I have the last two nights, and they're kind of nightmares. This is good. Huh? This spot, right here. Just pull over here. I'll jump out. Oh. Are you going back with Christine tonight? Back to the mansion? Yeah, why? I don't know. Have fun with the geezers. I'll catch you later. <laughs> yeah, catch you later. Okay, Mr. Williamson, so I've got fresh sheets on the bed, the whites are folded and put away, and I ran the vacuum through the first floor. Do you want me to vacuum upstairs? Nah, I can't make it up to the second floor no more, so there's no point in having you do that. Are you sure? It's no trouble. You've done enough, Robin. Why don't you just sit with me for a bit and relax? I just enjoy your company every Tuesday and Friday so much, I can't even tell you. Oh, Mr. Williamson, you're my favorite client, but I won't tell the others. It'll be our secret. So why don't you have a seat? Why don't you tell me what's chewing at you? Huh? <laughs> what do you mean? I may be an old soldier whose bones are frail, but there ain't nothing wrong with these old eyes. That's the look my wife Cecilia used to get. It meant something was stewing. Same look she had when our daughter Carrie got pregnant by accident the first time. Same look when I got hurt that one summer and couldn't work. Could barely keep food on the table and the roof over our heads. What with money going out but none coming in? Same look when they gave Cecilia the diagnosis. Don't make it through 52 years of marriage without recognizing that look. And now you got it too. Some kind of trouble chewing at you. You've lived your whole life here in Ithaca, isn't that right? Uh, other than the three years in country. And Nam, that is. What do you know about that house up on the cliffs? The one that was owned by a man named Thorn. Why are you asking about that house? You must remember when it was built, when Caleb Thorn moved into town. Of course I remember. I was one of the folks hired on to do the drywall in that house. So you knew him then? You knew Caleb Thorne? Not really. I, I wouldn't say that. I was just a subcontractor. Mr. Thorne wasn't the type to bother himself by stooping so low to talk to the help, which was just fine with me. I seen the way he was with the contractor. Demanding and nasty. At first, I thought that was on account of his money and him thinking he's better than working class folks. But it was more than that. You know when you catch a glimpse into some people and what you see inside them is darkness, like a stain? Best way to describe it, I guess. Well, he had that stain. Beautiful houses, I recall. So, how can such a rotten person get to own such a beautiful place? There are a lot of stories about the things that happened in that place over the years. Those two women who moved in with him, how the three of them were doing all kinds of weird rituals and stuff, trying to summon demons. Oh, yeah. Haven't met the one of those two women? Haven't looked into their eyes? I don't doubt a word about it. You met them? The two women he called his priestesses? Mm-hmm. Not too long, in fact, before all three just up and vanished. 
10 years after I worked on the house, Thorne was building out an addition, and I got hired back to do more work. Almost turned it down, but money is money, right? Gotta eat somehow. But after that second time, I don't care how much money they put on the table, I would have never taken another job there again. Why? What happened? Not so much what happened, but how being there made me feel. I ain't one to talk in terms of good and evil. I used to think all people were basically good, but that they sometimes got pushed into doing bad things. I know now that ain't the case. That second time back, you could see that darkness, that stain that spread throughout Mr. Thorne, throughout that property, and those two women. As beautiful they were on the surface, deep down were filled with evil. All three of them, and that house. Nothing but evil underneath. Guess we're just a matter of time. A matter of time before what? Folks all wonder what happened to those three when they disappeared, wondered where they went. But I know you mess around with evil things and that stain grows inside you until it becomes all you are. Evil. And eventually, the devil comes to claim his own. Don't go messing around with that house. You hear me? Before her talk with Mr. Williamson, Robin called into doubt her own instincts that told her there was something very wrong about Thorn Manor, but his stark warning affirmed that she was not overreacting. She had not given her mind too much license to spin stories. The danger she sensed there was real, and she had no intention of ever setting foot in that house again. But her roommates, on the other hand, how could she convince them without sounding like an alarmist? She picked nervously at her fingernails while Christine and Brianna finished getting ready for their return to Thorn Manor. Eyebrow check? Eyebrows on point, sister. You got your little laces on under that? Check, check. Hey, guys. Uh, tell you what. Why don't we just make it a girls' night? Maybe a couple cocktails, go to the movies... My treat. Uh, rain check. Tonight is party with rock stars night. It's not too late to jump back on this train, Robin. Guys, I don't think it's a good idea. I I just, I have a bad feeling. I know, you made that clear, Mom. But we're big girls now. Christine, I'm being serious. So am I. You're worse than her with the deja vu crap. At least she still knows how to have a good time. Right, Brianna? Let's talk about that. I think that's part of my concern. The deja vu, the sleepwalking, the cats. It's just... just everything lately. There's something definitely wrong about all of this. It's cool, Robin. Seriously, we're fine. If things get weird, we'll leave. You heard her. Good night, Mom. Don't wait up. The focal point of all things now, the dreams invariably return to Thorn Manor. Beneath its flank of stone and mortar, its bones of drywall, cement, and timber, the mansion breathes, its essence alive and pulsing with a sentient malevolence. Unable to resist its pull, the dreamer finds herself standing on the grounds at night beneath the same full moon that held the sky on their first night at the mansion. The same full moon returns to haunt every one of her dreams now. And beneath that moon, but still towering over the dreamer, 
The mansion stands like an obscene edifice, its windows filled with a stale yellow light, offering glimpses of the surreal scene playing out inside. Donning one of the wood-carved tribal masks, Everett Nicholas leads his bandmates along with Christine and Brianna in a naked procession. Hands linked together, they laugh and dance and cavort from room to room, and the dreamer follows along outside, tracking their movements from window to window. Everett calls out words, short phrases, that the others parrot back, but the closed windows blunt the sound, rendering the words unintelligible. Like Ring Around the Rosie, a child's game. But this is no game. This is perversity. This is ritual. And the dreamer's roommates have been swept up unwittingly into a terrible danger. This is the same sing-song dance that Brianna acted out while sleepwalking in the apartment. The dreamer shudders in terror, opens her mouth to call out a warning to her roommates, but her voice is lost to her. As the ritual unfolds, she tries desperately to scream for them, but no sound comes. All she can do is watch helplessly from the window. A breeze on the back of her neck signals the arrival of someone right behind her, so close as to nearly touch her. The scent of perfume wafts over her. A warm breath soothes her ear, draws from her an involuntary sigh of arousal. Before she can turn around, the unseen female leans in even closer. Her whisper, sensual yet alarming. Ear can't help them. Cricket song swells around her, a rising effigy to the evil being invoked within the mansion's walls. I tried calling a couple of times before you answered. I'm so sorry to wake you. I just... Brianna? What time is it? I'm really sorry. It's late, I know. It's just... Can you come get me? I need help. Sinner's Moon was produced by Frank Jocknowitz, Sean McKnight, and William Rizzo. Written, directed, and narrated by Frank Jocknowitz. Audio engineering, editing, and sound design provided by Sean McKnight. Musical supervisor, David Parsons. The title song, Sinner's Moon, was composed and performed by Elosin. This episode starred Katie Walsh as Robin, Eric Francis Melaragni as Everett, Danny Lacayos as the Tattooed Woman, Beverly Gunn as Brianna, Shelby Hightower as Christine, Martin Carr as Dylan, and Calvin Laws as Mr. Williamson. For full episode credits or to learn more about Sinner's Moon, visit the Sinner's Moon page on our website, frankhorror.com. <laughs>